Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 88, Why Grown Ups Were Invented. This week we're discussing series 6, episode 11 of Doctor Who, The God Complex, and season 1, episode 15 of Angel, The Prodigal. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Alrighty, on the God complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I enjoy the little puns of the episodes. Like yes. it's sometimes not clear on what. I almost said sometimes, always not clear, but um, it's sometimes <laughs> not clear just from it. And we've talked about this before with Buffy and stuff too. Like, yeah. you know exactly how it's going to play out. But I like, I like this one. The uh, the the double entendre of mm-hmm. you know the sort of normal use of the term and psychological, which we get we get the mention from yeah. Rita of the Doctor having a god complex, but then also the minotaur and this being his sort of domain yes uh yeah like a complex of like a like a building of rooms and stuff. yeah this is his right. complex yeah right yeah um so anyway so i know i think you had some uh production notes sort of since we're talking about the title and stuff yeah just a few quick things um i want to note toby whithouse who wrote this episode who's um we've had before he wrote School Reunion and Vampires mm. of Venice. Um, and he's a, okay. he, he's an interesting writer. Um, and actually, it's kind of uh, timely that we have this this week. Because just the other day, like literally like the day before yesterday, they announced that he is... They're currently shooting the first episodes of Series 9 of Doctor Who. And they're a mm. two-parter written by Toby Whithouse. So, okay. perfect. Um, and he Very has... interesting. He has one more... Um, early in season seven, but after that, he hasn't been back. So it's been a while. Um, okay. So I'm, you know, kind of excited about that. And um, so, uh, you know, and he's an interesting one to watch because the episodes he's done before now, I would say, have been. Um, he does like complicated ideas, especially with the Doctor. Like his episodes tend to like question the doctor's character a bit more like Hmm. you kind of think of school reunion you know it's sort of about was he right you know to leave sarah jane and you know is he going to leave rose and all that stuff and the vampires of venice is also kind of questioning from rory's perspective how his relationship with amy works and everything but Hmm. here i feel like it's even more so like it's not even quite as fun and rompy as those other episodes were and it's really playing up the the darker you know sides of it so um you can kind of see he's starting like that's kind of what interests him about the story um yeah and and i have a quote that he did enjoy writing like the dark tone of this episode um which i enjoy watching so it all works out um the other thing I want to bring up, I don't usually mention directors, but I want to mention Nick Horan, who directed this and The Girl Who Waited last week, um, because these are his first episodes, and he his style, I mean, as soon as you think about it, I'm sure you can kind of see how these episodes are both, like, gorgeous to look at, and 
you know, they direct, they're directed in a very interesting, unusual visual style. Like, yeah. They just look different. Um, this, and I would say I noticed it definitely, I mean, definitely more in this one, but even, mo- you're right, like moments in the last one, like even like the shot of Rory going out, you know, the shots of Rory going out of the room to get Amy, like it, in the beginning, and yeah. then like looking back in the same room and she's not there, and yeah. then yeah. going back in to see the dot, like yeah, those, those little like of, visual tricks and stuff. Yeah, like and... you don't, you could almost just gloss over them. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I, and it, I, and that is there totally... were aspects of this I wanted to talk about for this episode too, but and yeah. that's totally the kind of stuff that he brings to it that like nobody really. did before with the show like it was shot more like as a literal tv show of like okay you have a camera pointed at characters and this is what's happening whereas he brings in this kind of like surreal you know kind of where you're not quite sure or like there's little tricks that just remind you you're in another world and uh he's just sort of elevating the direction to a new level um and in his blog, Philip Sandifer talked about his style saying it makes the difference between what this episode could have been, which is, you know, this is the TARDIS landing in a hotel and having, you know, an adventure which riffs on The Shining versus this is the TARDIS landing in The Shining and the Doctor has an adventure. Like, the the style just nudges it into that even more surreal place than it already sure. was before. Um which was always kind of implicit in the show, but he makes it really explicit in the way that he films it. Um, yeah. And so this is going to go on to influence the future because when we get into season seven, I mentioned like it the the style is very much the kind of like you know bold movie poster style like standalone episodes that are very distinct visually. Um, so okay. it's kind of like his influence starts to creep into like the way that Moffat writes and runs the show. Um, and Haran is also the guy who gets picked to direct the 50th anniversary special. So it kind of cues uh. you into the fact that he's, you know, working on it. Like, okay, he's the one who's going to get picked to do that. So he must be doing something right. Um, right. So he's uh, one to watch, I think. Um, yeah. Well, so. very interesting. I, so, given that, I want to talk about then, like the sort of setting and style and yeah. um, the hotel and stuff because, uh, yeah, we. I mean, there's some certain ones that, again, like I almost feel like you. There are certain aspects that you in this one where like you can't really miss, um, but then there are other ones where I feel like you can sort of overlook them but when you start to think about the direction and st- uh, the the cinematography and stuff of yeah. it you you know you do sort of even appreciate even more so like um one is sort of the diegetic camera shots right the the sort of security camera shots yep. that we get yeah uh which are very interesting from a I don't, and I've actually still never seen The Shining, mm. so I don't know how much of that sort of thing there is in it. But um, I'm very, I've become very interested in those sorts of um, films. I think I've even mentioned it in the podcast, though I may not have. Like, I'm really looking forward to um, Penn Jillette's movie that he's working on oh, right, right now, yeah, 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 uh, called Director's Cut, where there's like sort of meta layer on layer of those sort of like diegetic things where they're taking like video of a 
actual quote film that's being made like a movie within a movie that's being made yeah. but then like adding his own like you know super 8 camera type you know film to it and so, like it's just these layers on layers and then um and that's actually directed by a guy named Adam Rifkin who wrote a movie and then like I think it got turned into like a one season like a mini series or you know television show or whatever um called Look I believe it, it is where it's like the entire movie is from like the perspective of like security and phone cameras and like it's right. it, like just you know sort of commenting on the prevalence of those sort of things so yeah. anyway I've I've become more particular in noticing those kinds of things I yeah. thought it was interesting here especially when you you know and we don't necessarily have to talk about her yet but when you think about like things like Rita where they're looking yeah. at her on the screen yeah. and then the doctor turns it off like yeah. those are the moments where you kind of like oh that's it's an interesting like and then you realize it's a prison and there's sort of like a panopticon sort right, of like right. mode to it. Like, you know, there's like all of these sort of like depths. Well, and I think too, like the, the notion of TV and watching is such a pervasive idea with Dr. Sure. Who that as soon as you introduce a TV screen, you're talking on a meta level. Like it's like with Blink, like yep. whenever you have a TV on screen, automatically we're involved. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we always are anyway, but like, it calls to light the fact that you're being watched, you yeah. know? And so we're watching the doctor who's watching someone on TV, you know? So there's this like weird looping effect. Um, and actually something else, which I might as well uh, skip ahead with here. Cause like we can talk about all these characters separately, but um, also on Sandifer's website for this episode, but not by him, by one of the commenters down at the bottom. Um, talked about like all of the parallels between the characters and the use of like the security footage um because like you think of did you catch the moment where gibbous eats the fish um i always miss it but when the when remember that happening so i guess i must have (laughs) it's super fast and super creepy once you realize it Okay, so they're in the security room watching the footage of, you know, so, like, you've got Rita on one screen who's on the phone, and then on another screen you see the Minotaurs, like, coming down the hallway. And then on another screen you can see Gibbous going in and picking up the fish, and he takes them into the kitchen, and then he eats them. And, like, at the end, after Rita's gone, there's, like, one shot that it goes to him of, like, licking his fingers and, like, finishing up. It's super creepy. Um, I don't remember that at all. That's yeah, very I weird. like never caught it until like this pointed it out to me, and then it's like, oh, that's awful. So, you know, so this person in the comments, Jane, who on his website always makes brilliant comments, um, she kind of makes parallels between all the different gods and monsters and their prey, which are in these sort of prisons. So you have like, you know, the the minotaur with the people in his hotel. Then you've got, you know, the doctor with his companions on the TV, you know, that he's watching. And we've, we're watching people on the TV as well. And then you've got mm-hmm. Gibbous with his fish in this fishbowl. So you have all of these different sort of gods slash monsters and, you know, the things which, you know, are at their mercy sort of in these mm-hmm. fishbowl type, you sure. know. And you've got, like, the minotaur you know, eating Rita just as Gibbous is eating the fish and everything. So 
just again with the direction those little things like I don't know that he had to shoot it that way like you could have I don't know whose idea that was if that's a script thing or whether that's something that the director added but you could have like had a scene of that of like Gibbous going in and doing this but the fact that yeah. he chooses to do it through the camera so that it is this little thing which you don't even really register until you've seen the episode like five times and then yeah. you know and it's so subtle so you know and it brings something it tells you something more about the story you know um, yeah and about the character and about the, and characters. Sort of the, the the parallels between those situations yeah uh, yeah all, all the characters not just him but um no i we should definitely talk about that when we get to them um <laughs> but i think it's worth noticing definitely pointing out those types of shots the other one is the repeated shots looking down um the stairwell mm. um which is i mean not like certainly there are plenty of times when you see like shows going down the stairwell but i felt like that had almost a vertigo look to it yeah uh you yeah. know from uh hitchcock and that kind of thing so like and i don't know if that was intentional i would be surprised given his attention to detail if it wasn't if it's not yeah <laughs> you know but like yeah um yeah sort of like you know vertigo within the context of the shining like it's right kind of interesting uh but then the other one being um of course the doctor uh after joe gets dragged away by the um minotaur the doctor running and chasing after him and going down the hallways and it's like yeah. a never-ending like shifting right, right. maze sort of thing and then you know just sort of the shots there and then like the you know going past and then panning back and seeing mm -hmm. joe's body and stuff so like just some really interesting ways of visually getting, you know, ideas across that otherwise, because otherwise, you know, it's yeah. just, Hey, we're running down hallways. It's right. a maze. Ha ha ha. Right. But like, this is like going that extra step to like really confuse you visually as a viewer as yeah. well. And not just have it be, you know, exposition of, Oh, we can't figure out where we are. We must be in a maze. Like, right. you know, right. like not, keeps that from becoming like a boring, repetitive idea. Right, right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, and I think of like, even, you know, like Joss Whedon talks about how, you know, Sunnydale high, like as their budget each year got better, like they were able to add more hallways, to like yeah. the, you know, the interior of the high school and stuff. But like for that first season, especially it's like just one hallway where they keep walking down the same hallway, right. even though like they're trying to give the impression that they're in different parts of the school. It's all the same hallway every time. Yeah. So um, like, I just thought it was really well done here where you do get this idea that things are really actually shifting and he does a good job presenting that visually yeah. Um, and it's mentioned, but it's like mentioned brief and it's not till you see it that you like by seeing it, you sort of are in the place of the characters being able to experience it in that yeah. way. Yeah. So, um, very, and very interesting. Yeah. Um, but that's the kind of thing that I think is more subtle than like the diegetic camera stuff. Sure. You know, yeah. I mean, and I mean with the cameras it like, you know, it goes to like black, you know, monochrome, Yeah. you know, view. Right. So like, I mean, it's. It's pretty jarring it's noticeable, when you see that. Yeah. Like you definitely notice it, but it's not till you later think about like it's like well again you know for Joss Whedon it's like the opening to Serenity right it's like these long shots of mm -hmm. you know walking through this complex set that I mean have to be planned out 
yeah. pretty well in Hugely, advance. Yeah. Uh, the difference being that Serenity was a movie set and they had a much bigger budget than right. I'm sure they had for this. And so it's in a way even more impressive. Well, here. and I like to, like, it's not just showy, like, you know, like you said, like, it's noticeable. You you notice on the screen, oh, okay, you know, it, it now we're looking at security footage. But you do have to kind of put some thought into, like, okay, actually, what does that tell you about the story? Like, symbolically, right. what is that telling right. you? And so it's not just, like, a flashy camera thing. It, like, actually does you know, it, it increases that sense of paranoia, like with the Panopticon, and like that you're always being watched, and you're always on yeah. camera, and anyone can see you, and you know, um, and increases well, the tension and... of like, as Rita's here, you see the Minotaur moving like two hallways away, so she can't see him, but you know that he's coming, and it's such a like, neat way of, you know, telling the story. Yeah, well, and, and it also brings up questions of like, okay, someone is watching, Right. Why are they not doing anything to help out? Right. But then it's like, right, then you get the layers of it of the Doctor and Rory and Amy are watching. And right. they are not trying or can't or whatever help out. Right. So then that calls into question of, like, what else is going on. And, right, right. Um, yeah, so anyway, there's definitely, definitely some really good stuff in there. And then visually, like, I mean... Even though I've never seen The Shining, I've, of course, seen, like, scenes and shots from it. Sure. So, you know, even not having seen it, I could pick out some Yeah, I mean, just from the decor, um, you know, you can't help but, you know, the presence of, like, the 1980s yeah. hotel, you know. Like, why, um, why the 1980s? Only because The Shining was made in that decade. Right. So, you know, yeah. Uh, um, and and, and the, the Shining, if you haven't seen it, the the stories aren't much alike, but there is that sense of you don't know what's going to be around the next corner. Like sure. not so much with the Minotaur, um, but, with, but the with but with the rooms and like there's some weird stuff in The Shining where that's like just never kind of like with like the clown and the other things where like <laughs> it's never explained like whose yeah. fear that is or why it's just sort of there right. and uh, you know that kind of like. This sense of like, there's way more going on here than I know or want to know, and so yeah. don't look no. at it, don't talk to it, just keep moving. <laughs> I, and I like that. Like, I feel like sometimes there's a desire by some writers and storytellers in general, like, to over-explain those sorts of things. But I like that there just isn't an explanation. Like, there, yeah. there's an explanation. We're just never. We don't going know what it, it is, yeah. And 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 which is appropriate because the characters are never going to know what it is. Right. And <laughs> I do like the don't talk to the clown. Don't talk to the clown. <laughs> um, yeah. Moment that's pretty funny, but you know, but yeah, they're like the clown's clearly there for somebody. For somebody, yeah. And we don't know who or why or what, but yeah, um, or like the the angry you know, gym teacher or the, or the photographer, yeah. like the old timey <laughs> photographer and stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. like it's just this weird jumble of, yeah. of memories. Yeah, the gym teacher, that are... And like, he's talking to the doctor. So you're not sure. Is it the doc? Like, is he meant for the doctor in some way? But then it's like, you know, that's not his right. thing. Right. Like, they just kind of like look at each other. Like, yeah, is that it's... for you? That wasn't for me. <laughs> yeah. What's going on? Yeah. Um, that, is, that was kind of funny though. The, uh, so to go back like to where I was going to start. I mean, I wanted to start talking about the hotel and the yeah. Minotaur and I think 
a lot of the hotel is the look and the um, thing. The one thing that I wanted to talk about too, though, like just the attention to detail mm. is the scraping of the Minotaur's, uh, yeah. you know, horns against the ceiling and that, and, and, but you can see like the grooves from like all the times yeah. that he's passed through. Like yeah. this is, and that's interesting to me, not just because it's like, because it's that attention to detail, but also because uh, this is a setting that shifts. So, like, mm. why would they keep, you know, why would it not shift to, like, remove those every time they happens? Hall. Right, right, right. Or, yeah. or, like, shift so that it's big enough for him to pass through. Right. You know, right. so I don't know. It was just kind of weird, like, but I like that sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. That they put the detail in there, but also kind of still leave, still leaves you with those questions of, like, why is it this way knowing all mm. these different different things? Yeah. Um, so, um, I don't, I mean, you know, we get another of these, like, okay, the Minotaur, he's a prisoner. Right. But... I don't like, is he like, he is kind of bad, but it's like, at the same time, he's not kind of bad. He just wants to die. And he's like continuing to kill these people because he has to eat. You know what right. I mean? Like you don't get the sense that it's like, maybe at some point in the past, he might've been a bad guy, but like now it's like, you know, he's like, uh, you know, red from Shawshank Redemption, you know, it's like, right. you know, he's, Right. He's, he's institutionalized. Fully, and, yeah, institutionalized yeah. and he just wants it to be over. He's not looking to hurt anyone at this point, but yeah. that these are this is what they feed him and he has to eat. So Right. And I get the feeling that for him it's as much a compulsive thing as it is for yeah. the people that once once they're introduced into the situation, like once the hotel supplies him with food or prey, he is as compelled to go through this ritual as they are, you know, that just as yeah. they can't keep themselves from praising him, you know, at, even like it bursts out of their mouth, like they can't even stop it, mm. that like he can't help himself, but, you know, consume he, them and go yeah, after them. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think that that's interesting. I mean, and it's not the first time where we've gotten like the evil monster is not really an evil monster but right. then it's like but but it is that added layer of but he kind of is an evil monster mm. at the same time like right you know he's an evil monster who's just become an old man yeah <laughs> you know in a way yeah um, and i like those because it stops it you know they don't all need to be like that like he's definitely dangerous you know and needs to be right. it's not like oh we all just hug and it's fine like you know but and and I think it is okay to occasionally have like malevolent aliens. That's fine too. But it is nice. I like that about the show um, that it stops it from becoming all like totally xenophobic. Of like, okay, mm -hmm. every race in the universe is just out to eat the humans. Like, sure. you know, that would get quite old quite fast. I think so. It is good yeah. to have those layers. Um, yeah. Um. And also not necessarily the first time where we've seen, like, the doctor sort of, it's not quite euthanasia, but, like, mm -hmm. he kind of helps. Sure. 
monster to die, you know, like yeah. there's 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 that aspect of like there's the merciful death kind right. of thing. Right. Like, uh you know uh and of course then the whole illusion which we can get to later, I guess, of the doctor and sort of the the last words, you know, being I wasn't talking about, about myself, myself right. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Right. So, uh, you know, there being some insight and and that part of the doctor wanting to help him is seeing sort of himself maybe and and mm. uh, which also then is intriguing because then it's like how does the doctor see himself? Right. Uh, you know, like yeah. it, does he see himself as a monster who's just lived a long time? Uh, you know, in that sort of way. So, um, yeah. but I don't want to get to the doctor yet. I okay. want to, so like, I don't, I don't think there's like, like we don't actually learn a ton about the Minotaur no. except that he's a prison for prisoner for some reason. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you're right. Like about the compulsion thing, which brings into like, even like how evil was he re- Like, even if he is, right. you know, part of this race that sets themselves up as gods, like, if that's a compulsion, is it evil? Like, it might still be malevolent in a way, but mm-hmm. not, like, evil, like, intentionally. You know what I mean? I don't know if right. I'm able yeah. to make that distinction. Yeah. But, like, obviously it's still bad. Like, you don't want right. monsters going around setting themselves up as gods and killing people. But, right. like, at the same time, because it is a sort of compulsive aspect to it, like, how much does that if at all, does that absolve any of their activities? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, it's, uh-huh. it's a good point. Uh, I don't know that we need to talk a lot about the individual guests. Sort of the two most important ones, I think, are Rita and Gibbous. I um, would agree with you there, yeah. The, I mean, Lucy, you know, we see her right at the beginning writing her notes, and then we get them later, and she's sort of the exposition like where they figure out a lot of the stuff right um but then like joe and howie have their parts too Mm -hmm. um i don't know that there's a lot to say about either of them (laughs) i can i i will say about howie Mm -hmm. i definitely can understand his fear of the room full of women making fun of him (laughs) um i mean i feel like any person who was a teenage that heterosexual teenage boy at least probably had that fear at some uh, point or another um well and also the fear uh of like being like the the internet nerd of like what is the the popular kids think you know like you know and of course like he's into like blogging and conspiracy theories and like you know all these things and so you know there's that which even makes it i think even more relatable than it already was so yeah yeah definitely right and a lot of people watching a science fiction show like doctor who might be able to relate to that there's probably a large self-selection in that category yeah i think that's probably Um, true so I don't know that there's a lot more to say about any of them. I, I kind of like, I mean, man, is that creepy finding Joe in a room full of With the dummies. dummies uh, Especially the moment when they all stop laughing and turn and look. And look at that awful, like, oh, this is terrible. Um, yeah. Which it never, I never really thought about it until this last watch, like, why would they leave him in there? And it made me wonder, like, are they his fear? Like, did they just, like, 
you know, leave him in a room because he was kind of going nuts. And these dummies just, like, came and, like, found him and surrounded... Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe they just left him in this awful room filled with a hundred dummies. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, and he talks... Right, right. he mentions that. Like, it, it was his fear... Yeah, like, but I used now, to be afraid of them, but now I'm not. Yeah. Now they make me laugh. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. Which, <laughs> so, and that's an interesting point, because I, it's kind of muddled, and I'm not sure if it's, like, <laughs> it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm not sure if this is genius, or if they just couldn't figure it out. Right. And, make, and that means it's lazy. Okay. Like, but there is, there is a sort of muddled, uh, you know, mechanism to uh, how the fear and the faith and, like, that stuff works. Because, mm. okay, if you're... I kind of get the sense... Th- this is my theory on it, and I don't... Okay. Like, you tell me how, how it plays up to whatever you might have. But it seems to me, like, what the fear's purpose are is to make you lose your faith so that it can be replaced. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, and not like lose your faith in a way, but it's like, you know, it's like uh, how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb kind of thing. You right, know, like, right. it, it, like it's that, you, like the, the fear becomes so overwhelming that it almost, like it trips the other way and you're just like, like we were talking about actually before the the podcast, it's it's the new suit, the left hand of darkness. Yeah. You know, it's it's what will be, what will you know, yeah, say no la vie. Matter, like, it be, yeah. You know, there there's there's no uh, point at that point in worrying because nobody's going to come save you, mm-hmm. and that's the mechanism that makes you lose your faith, which is when the faith of you know the 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 psychic faith of the minotaur can sort of take over Hmm. i'm not 100 percent convinced that's what they had in mind right but it seems to work i don't i mean i i can't like this is what i was thinking about i can't really think of a better way for it to work so no you know but maybe there is very like not very well, like, and and, and, and I don't mean well. And it's like, also Doctor Who. Sure, so like, <laughs> <laughs> sure, that's a good point. I I mean I think it is not. I w- I'm go- I want to say it's not very well defined. I don't mean that like it's not effectively. Def- I mean it's it's. I think it's intentionally ambiguous. Like sure, it's sure. it's by design not well defined. I guess. Yeah. Um, but and. What you're saying makes sense to me, like, in terms of, like, what we see with the people, and especially, like, with Rita saying, like, you know, let me be robbed of my faith in private, that, like, she knows she's going to be robbed of her faith, you know? Right. Um, The only thing, then, that I don't know whether, how it works is with Amy, because the doctor's sort of plan for how to save her is to break her faith in him. And yeah. so it does break down. That's there. to me like where that's the difference between her and everyone else. So then I don't know, like, does that mean that it's the, it's the stronger the faith, the better because 
the doctor realizes like he has a mistake in telling them to believe in things and have faith and that's what's feeding the minotaur sure so in a way even though it kind of seems like what you were saying is true in some ways it also seems like the opposite so i don't know <laughs> what that means yeah. yeah you know no you're right because that is what they set sammy apart hmm. so so uh, back to the drawing board on that back one. to I, the drawing I, board and maybe I, that means they're as confused as we are i don't know but um, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I'm not sure if it means they're genius or just lazy. So, right. uh, you know, draw your own conclusions, I guess. But yeah. it, I was trying to figure, it's not entirely clear to me how the fears and the faith and how, you know, one switches to the other. Yeah, how that uh, works. How that all works. But, um, you know, I mean... I don't think that ruins the episode not knowing how that works. I yeah. mean, I think it's yeah. interesting to think about, but I think, you know, sort of in context, it's it's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the other thing, too, I, I like the way that this episode, um, you could have this episode come across as, like, very, you know, vehemently anti-faith and anti-religion, like, especially with this this notion of, like, the faith being a dangerous thing and and the doctor having to break Amy's faith and telling her not to, you know. But I also like that it doesn't just take a one-note response to things. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you see how, um, like, Rita is really held up as, like, a respectable person of right. faith and how, in the end, that's, like, a comfort and a solace to her that she has peace and everything. So... I like that it kind of plays, it lets that have a dialogue on both sides. Like, it doesn't just become, like, a one-note, you know, um, you, you know, rejection of the idea of faith. You know, it's just that in this particular situation, because of the way this this Minotaur feeds, it becomes a complicated and dangerous thing. So, um Sure. I and, yeah, appreciate and, that, the nuance of that, I guess. And you can get metaphorical with it, right? Like, there are people who play on others' genuine faith yep. in a, you know, uh, in a fake or a, a, you know, illegitimate way. I mean, you hear about, you know, I don't know, televangelists who, you right. know, are all the while, I don't know, stealing money and sleeping around with, right. you know, whatever. Right, or, that kind of, like exploitation of, of yeah. people's need to um, yeah right and and i think you know i think you're right because i think there are the people who sort of take that and you know draw the conclusion well faith is terrible and it's bad and whatever so you look at all these bad people who right. did bad stuff in the name of faith but then there's others who actually have genuine faith and are just very very good people you know what i mean like it right it's not that and maybe, and maybe in some cases it's because of their faith, and maybe it's not. Maybe they would still be good people even if they didn't have the faith. Like that's kind of a neither here nor there. It's yeah, the I, fact that they have the faith and are good people. Like it doesn't matter what causes one or the other. It's it's that there is, you know, uh, uh, like it it doesn't have to just be. Yeah, like it, all faith is good or all faith is yeah, bad. Yeah, I think are it just it would be different degrees of those sorts of things. It would be really easy for this episode to become one dimensional about the about that question, and it just doesn't, you know, because I think we get enough variety of people. Um, 
that yeah. it allows for that kind and, of like nuance and enough types of what they're calling you know what they're referring to as faith it's not right. all just religious faith right it's you know right there are people who are not necessarily religious but have just as much belief in a theory or a you know social structure or right. you know like conspiracy theories or whatever you know what whatever your right right or faith of choice or whatever. Is. Yeah, yeah yeah and yeah. i mean that's a, a prevalent notion is that everyone believes in something it's just a question of what you know you you kind of have to put your that's kind of pascal's wager in a nutshell is you have to put your chips down somewhere you know mm. um and if it's not in religion, it's it will be something else, you know. So sure. Um, anyway, I I would agree with you that the mechanics of how it is handled are not totally clear, but I like the kind of general notion of what it's going for. So, mm -hmm. and I think it works overall. Sure. Yeah. No, I I agree. Like, I don't think. The fact that I didn't interpret it in a way that was consistent <laughs> doesn't doesn't make it not work. Um, so we kind of talked about Rita a bit, and I do like the way they that her character comes off as a very genuine. You yeah, know, you know she's really, um, and I've seen her like brought up a few times on like lists of like great would be companions, and she really yeah. is like up there, like with not as much screen time or like dramatic emphasis as like a Madame de Pompadour or Sally sure. Sparrow, she really makes an impression. Like mm -hmm. I, not no I'm with the doc no disrespect to Amy, you know? <laughs> and like yeah, I yeah. love when he like fires her, you know, because yeah. Rita's like, and he's so like awesome. we'll, we'll we'll talk. We'll, we'll talk. talk. Like, you yeah. know, so no disrespect to Amy and no disrespect to, you know, the companions that come next, but you really would like Rita to come. Like I like there's something about the character and the actress too, who she's immediately like she would be great. You know, there's just something kind of approachable and watchable and interesting about her. Um mm -hmm. so she's kind of one of these oh wouldn't it have been great if, you know, would be companions that sure. makes it all the more devastating when she dies. Yeah. Um, and then there's Gibbous. Who's who, a little less approachable. <laughs> yeah, certainly more disappointing. Yeah. Um, and the, an interesting twist on his character, too. Yeah. So like, we're talking about, you know, sort of different ways that things get twisted around. Like he, okay, he's this sort of simpering, what, Tavolian or whatever. Something like and, that, yeah. And... He uh a rat. He's a little rodent. Yeah, he's, he's a, a little man rodent. Rat. He's yeah. a little rodent. And and so you know, you get the impression or he gives the impression and also with what the doctor says that, you know, it's like, oh, he's very passive, he just lets people walk all over him. But then you find out that he's actually very active in yeah. his sort of uh Manipulation, passive and, aggressive, yeah, like and, he's manipulative and sneaky. Um, yeah, and and the doctor, you know, even says your cowardice isn't quaint; it's sly, aggressive. Yeah. It's it's how the gene of gutlessness has survived while so many others have perished. Um, and you and then you see that it's like 
you almost know that he's just sticking around waiting for the moment when he can kind of suggest to Howie to, you know, make the suggestion to let him go. Like, yeah. you know, it's like he's getting, he's suggesting that the other should make the suggestion. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he, he's one of those where it's like he, just by sort of hanging around and being, you know, appearing weak and, and easily manipulative, he's actually manipulating things exactly how he wants, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and, which is why it's interesting, like, when you pointed out the fish thing. Yeah. That I didn't really notice um, when it was there, but just thinking about it, like, that you do have this, like, he doesn't realize that he's on screen. And so yeah. he's sort of being himself, being his own vulture self, yep. you know, and, and yep. predatory self. Um, yeah, no, when you when you do see it, it's it's quite disturbing, you yeah. know. And, it's, and it is that thing of... He presents himself in the beginning as this, you know, small, defenseless, you know, timid that you want to take care of him, you know, like an Amy does, like she's consoling him and everything. Um, mm. And and it's like, you know, we as the audience are like worried about him because, you know, he he's just that kind of like, oh, he's sweet and cute and all these. And then you find out, no, <laughs> yeah, no. and And he's another, you know like with the fishbowl he's another type of monster in that way who's kind of out yeah. for himself um and yeah. kind of ruthless um yeah well exactly and so you get you, you get this idea right and they're the whole race of them apparently are like this right? right like this is they don't you know they do accept conquerors and whatever but they're the ones who actually survive like the right. conquerors are the ones who are fighting each other right. while they're some kind of standing back and surviving. And you see that happen with this episode because of the guests who are there, you know, besides the doctor and Rory and Amy who come. He's the only one that makes know, it out. He's the only one who's left alive at the end. And I'm not sure what to make of the weeping angels scene. Mm. Because he's scared of them, but is that really his room? Because one of the things that I was wondering is, does he have any faith in anything? Right. Like maybe that. Like maybe he's like Rory in that. Right. Way. We like, don't see him like praise the Minotaur or, or anything like that. Right. Yeah. 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 So like the very fact that he doesn't do anything in that instance, like. Yeah sort of implies that he doesn't have any faith and like maybe that's not really his room maybe he's playing it up yeah you know i don't know yeah. like especially given the conversation afterwards where amy like admits like she thought it would you know they were there for her right at first and he kind of was like well that means your room's still out there and right. it's like he's sort of smiling and coy he's about a little it. yeah yeah like a little bit smug so, about it so, like, why, like, I don't understand how that would be a valid reaction if you, if that actually had been his room. Right. I don't know. Yeah, don't we know. don't, other than them speculating, there isn't really any evidence that it is his room. So, right. yeah. Right. You know, I don't, I think we're free to kind of disbelieve that. And they don't, and the angels don't really go after him any more than they right. don't go after or anyone anybody, else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, so. Right. They could they, just be another bit of random, like debris in the hotel, you know? Right. Um, right. and I do think like, 
that whether or not they are for him, the more interesting role that the angels play is as that fake out for Amy. That That's interesting yeah. to me that, okay, we find out they're not her kind of deepest, most primal fear, but they're pretty close because she sees them, yeah. she sees them and we all assume, you know, the doctor, Amy, the audience, everybody assumes they're there for yeah. Amy, you know? Um, yeah. So that's, that's interesting. That says something about, you know, Amy too. Um, yeah. Um, but of course her fear is the, doc, you know, herself waiting for the doctor. Right. right? Um, if we didn't know that last week, we certainly got it hammered home again this week. Right. Uh, yes, I see a theme repeating. Yeah. Could, could we could call it something about the girl who waited or something yeah. like that? Like, <laughs> I, I feel like there should be a, be a a moniker for yeah. this or something. If there yeah. if there was a pithy way to describe <laughs> what this meme is, um, yeah. So we've got to talk about Amy and the Doctor and Rory and all yeah. of that. Um, we're already talking about Amy, so let's keep going. Okay. I guess I guess like that's not a huge surprise, right? Is her fear is waiting and the doctor never coming yeah again but i guess what's interesting is that you know that is her fear but it's also her faith because she is sitting there waiting right for the doctor so like maybe that like maybe that's where maybe it's that your fears and your faith are tied together somehow right like it's not that you're giving one up or being um, absolved of the other. Like it's not absolved isn't the right word, but you know, like that your fear is being removed at the same time as your faith. But it's that your fears and your faith are sort of tied together. So like it's the people who believe in an afterlife who are most scared maybe of not having an afterlife. Like you know, I mean like, like I'm not saying that that's true. I'm saying that maybe this is sort of what theory is on this particular episode. You know right. what I mean? Like, like maybe there's something there where they're trying to say like that. Yeah. Your deepest fears are tied into the things that you have the most faith in kind of thing. Yeah. Like, maybe right. I am wrong. Maybe there really isn't a God or maybe, you know, I'm wrong. Maybe the government can't solve everybody's problems right. or, you know, whatever your particular, belief system might be yeah um that there's that the fear and the doubt and the confusion is tied into that faith is in some way yeah which seems to be at least in amy uh, and part of the problem like i think we, we don't have like a critical mass of data because we don't know any of the other characters even though we might find out what their fears were right like, we don't know truly what their faiths were so it's like yeah we don't we don't have sort of that extra bit to go along with, but at least with Amy, that seems to fit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you kind of realize like, you know, if the fear is abandonment, maybe, you know, um, then the way waiting... specifically, yeah, I mean, abandonment in several ways because like her parents and stuff. Yeah. But like, but specifically for the doctor, for the doctor. Yeah. That's, yep. that's or by the doctor or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then you kind of think, okay, if that's what she's afraid of, then the waiting is kind of the act of faith. 
like that's almost like a form of like prayer or something or or meditation like that's the thing you do in response to you know the thing that you're afraid of the 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 action that she takes you know is to sit on her suitcase you know and wait all night so yep. it is in a weird way in response to the fear but an act of faith that there is something to wait for and that he right. will come back eventually you know otherwise why would you do it you know right um right. so i think i'm with you there that like you have to have both like there must be you know that faith is necessary in light of doubts and fears that we have so there's kind of a symbiotic relationship there between the two um which is basically the psychology of the hotel of like why it's filled with creepy things so that you're compelled to you know recall your faith in whatever you have faith in um maybe yeah. you know i think that's the logic of it that's why it's shoving scary things in your face um yeah but well and and i guess the doctor does sort of get out get at that a little bit like he he talks about um every time someone's confronted with their most primal fear they fell back in their fundamental faith um all this time i've been telling you to dig deep find the things that keep you brave i made you expose your faith show them what they needed so like but that's and then i never really thought of it this way until you just read that and from what you said earlier but amy is unique in that way in that like her faith and her fear are literally almost the same thing because like for everyone else like okay there's no connection between you know rita's you know, overbearing dad who expects perfection and her you know islamic faith you know or um or at least no literal connection i mean maybe they are related like in she was brought up muslim or whatever but you know what i mean like they're not those are separate things and like Howie's, you know, popular girls are different than his, like, faith in, like, the government and conspiracy theories and stuff. Like, whereas for Amy, what she's scared of is waiting for the doctor, and what she has faith in is that she will always wait for the doctor. <laughs> like, it's, like, literally yeah. the picture of her faith and the picture of her fear look the same and they're both her sitting on the suitcase when she was seven years old yeah. you know well that's and that's what she says like the doctor never let me down even when i thought he did he mm. really didn't kind yeah. of thing so yeah i think you're right like those two well maybe and that's maybe that's the difference maybe it's yeah like for most people it's finding it's like facing your fear brings out your faith because you're calling on your faith to sort of help you face the fear but with her because they are sort of the same thing. Maybe mm. that's why it works. Yeah. You know, to break the faith also also breaks her fear and Right. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Right, because if you give up faith in the doctor, you're not waiting anymore. She can she can she can move, she on. Can move on. She can go away. Right. She can go back inside. She doesn't have to sit out there anymore. Um that's interesting. Yeah. I kind of like that. Um so, the doctor... Well, well I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. Real quick with Amy, too. Another directorial choice um, of just having... I love 
after all the talk we had last week about Amy at different ages and how she's mm-hmm. the same, you know, even though like, you know, seeing the girl and the old woman and vice versa, again, we get that with little Amy, little Amelia and grown-up Amy, that you have the doctor talking to her and it just keeps switching randomly between the two so that mm-hmm. they're the same. Like for him, he's talking both to little Amelia and... Like, I love that, that they don't have, they don't just keep it with the Doctor and Amy in the background and Amelia in the foreground, but they actually literally have them switch places, like as if they're one and the same person. Um, I think that's great. Um, And that, like, sad little smile as he breaks her faith and you get the little seven-year-old, like, you know, I just think that's a really nice decision. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, I like that as well. Um. And and sets up the end, yeah. Which I guess we can just talk about now. Sure. It sets up the end of the conversation of her. So you're leaving, aren't mm. you? You know, like this is her faith is broken. So she, like you said, like if she's not waiting, if she doesn't have faith that the doctor will come, then she's not waiting for him. Right. And this is her growing up, sort of in in a way, right? Even though she's an adult already, like right. this is her saying you're leaving and you're not coming back. Like right. acknowledging that she's not going to wait for him because she doesn't expect him to return. Yeah. Anymore. Although the last shot we get of Amy is her standing by the window waiting. <laughs> and we and we also get the doctor saying, "You haven't seen the last of me." Right. Right. So, doctor, stop it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, well and that's which, I mean it totally connects to that scene with Rita of him like acknowledging that he knows that he does this he knows that he offers an irresistible thing to people who cannot help themselves and then says and when we're done i'll show you too and she's like uh you did it again you know so that he's talking about like compulsion he's totally compelled to keep going through this ritual you know um and amy's compelled to stand by that window yeah. Well, and and the doctor, the last shot of him in the TARDIS is, you know, looking sort of back at, I mean, he's in the TARDIS, but, you know, like you can imagine he's thinking about like he's yeah. looking away from the center of the TARDIS. Yeah. Like he's he's looking outward. He's yeah. not looking inward, yeah. you know, um, you know, thinking about having a companion yeah. and the fact that he doesn't have one yeah. at the moment. So, um, yeah, looking around at the big empty TARDIS around him. Um, yeah. And kind of back over his shoulder, what he's left behind. So, a couple, I mean, we've only got like five minutes left. <laughs> so a couple things that we have to talk about with the doctor, um, we can skip everything else, but he finds his room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's room number 11. And of course, of course. he's the 11th doctor. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of funny and whatever. Like, I don't know how significant that is other than it's just that he's I think it, it has to have a number. So yeah. what other so number would it be? 11. You yeah. know, it would almost be stupid if it wasn't. It's kind of yeah. how I read that. Which is fine. Um, yeah. That's not what I really want to talk about. Yeah. The, the... Before he, like, when he's, like, turning, he's hearing voices. Yeah. Is it just me, or does one of them sound an awful lot like River Song? I never noticed, so I'd okay. have to go back and and you might. Well, be right. and now I put the suggestion in your head, like 
I went back. I like rewound okay. that part like several times and was trying to figure it out. And I'm not a hundred percent convinced, mm-hmm. but there's one of those like the last. I don't know if this last one, but it's like the loudest one. Okay. That I thought sounded like Alex Kingston, like okay. River Song. Okay. I, um, I I have not noticed one way or the other, so I'd have to go back and see if I agree with you or whether I can only, find any evidence outside of the episode or not. Um, the only reason I ask, well, yeah, and I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Sure. But the only reason I ask that is because then that le- lends a question of, what does he see? What's in the Because he says, he says, of course, who else? Who else? Not what else. Yeah. Who, who else? Yeah. There's two possibilities, as far as I can tell. One is River Song. Mm-hmm. And two is himself. Mm-hmm. Maybe there are other potentials, but those seem like the two obvious ones to me. Um, especially because we haven't, had River in a few episodes, but Amy makes an explicit mention of her. Yeah, at the when, end, yeah. When, when she, of, you know, if you see my daughter, tell her to pop Visit in or whatever. Visit her mom, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, it, and that comes after, obviously, you know, when the doctor goes in this room, but it's also like, hmm, okay, that could just be a goodbye, but it could also be, like, the writer putting in there, like, mm. hey, remember this person? Yeah. Who is important and significant and, oh, by the way, kills the doctor. Right. <laughs> like, right. you know, so, so like, but we've also gotten the doctor before, but before, we, I don't know that we've ever gotten the doctor fearing himself. Mm. We've gotten the doctor not liking himself. Right, right. Hating himself. Right. You know, who, who you know, it's the person who hates you more than anyone else in the universe. Oh, it's yeah. me. Yeah. You know, that's that's who the dream lord is. You know, and that kind of thing. So, like, we've gotten that. I, I don't think we've ever gotten the doctor fearing himself before. Mm. And that's the only thing. I And there may not be an answer. I don't, I right. mean, we may not as viewers or anything. So, I mean, it could just be a fun thing to speculate about. And maybe it's not important in the grand scheme of things. But the fact that I heard that voice and it sounded to me an awful lot like River Songs implies to me that that it's she's at least a valid option of who might be in the room. Right. Given his we know the doctor knows that at some point he hasn't yet, but at some point he tells her his name, mm. which means that he goes on to at some point have lots of faith in her. Right. Like, we already know that about the Doctor and relationship with River Song. So if the fears are tied to faith, that's sort of another possible interpretation of that. That's all awesome. But it could be <laughs> himself as well. Sure. I'll, I'll say um, I remember... Like, it's recent enough ago... Sometimes I get confused about when I made... Like, if I made certain predictions or not, or, like, when I knew something. Like, if it's been a while since I saw episodes, I'll forget, like, what was my first reaction or whatever. But for whatever reason, I remember my theory for what was in the room. You know, like, my unspoiled, untainted first impression theory. And at the time that I saw 
this episode for the first time, I was definitely of the opinion of it's himself. Like, it's, it's sure. because of the kind of, like, time war, self-loathing, like, things that he's done type stuff. But, but that was, I'll, I'm just sharing that for, for like, oh, yeah. just out of curiosity. Not That's not to, like, say it is or isn't. That's just, yeah. that was no. my first impulse. So I'm thinking the along only... the same. yeah. Only reason I say that is because one of those voices sounded to me like Rivers. Well, Mountain. but I think Maybe. you bring up a really good point, which is like she would be a really logical person to have because of the the River Song plot that we've had through season six. You know, of yeah, she yeah. is both someone who he puts a lot of faith and trust in, and also someone who we have cause to believe he should fear in a way because. We know that, you know, history says that she killed him. So, you yeah. know, that that totally, you know, if I didn't think of that, it's only because I didn't think about it hard enough. Like, not, I'm not saying like, like, I think that actually makes you're making a good argument. And I think sure. they're both good, plausible theories. Yeah. Well, I mean, it could be that I'm thinking too much about it, you know, like. <laughs> If you didn't well, think enough about it, it could just be that I thought too much about it. So, you know. I, I mean, know. and the other thing I'll share is that I was totally re- ready to just let that be an enigma and to never know for sure. But I will say that as I sit here now, I do know what's in the room. Um, oh, okay. So there is a hard and an fast answer, answer okay. you know. And oh, I mean, interesting. I would have totally just said, you know, we're never going to find out for sure. And in my mind, you know, it was the doctor himself, but eventually that will be called back. So just so gotcha. you know, um, gotcha. you can keep thinking about it until it is. Um, and I won't, I won't say when, how long that'll be, but yeah. Yeah. Um, the only, the last thing that I think I want to talk about real quick is with Rory. Unless unless you have anything else you want to say about the Doctor. That was that was the main thing I wanted to talk about with him. I think we've sort of talked about his relationships with other people already. Yeah, well, I guess we kind of glossed over it. But I do want to just mention again the, um, that, and it's, it's pretty explicit, but the parallel... With the Minotaur, when he talks about the the ancient oh, yeah. the ancient creature drenched in the blood of the innocent, drifting through space in an endless shifting maze, for such a creature death would be a gift, and he says, "Then accept it and sleep well." And then the Minotaur yeah. says, "I wasn't talking about myself." So again, with this lingering theme of the Doctor's death, yeah. you know, um, a interesting shade on it that that might be. A, a gift and a relief and a thing to be accepted that after, you know, a long time and a lot of, you know, suffering, you know, and, and um, sure. I think I, that's not to say that the doctor has reached that point, you know, but um, the Minotaur at least sees a parallel and recognizes that they have some certain things in common. So. I I won't go into detail, but I'll, mentioned that there may also be an idea of death being a gift in the Buffy verse as well. I won't even tell you which show of the Buffy verse it may come into play in, but yeah. like well, that it's definitely uh there's a Tolkien esque element to that too. Um Yep. 
the gift of man or the gift of Lubitar. Not the gift of Manway. That was ridiculous. Although, although it's different because in that you get the sense of, um, that that's like, like a gift in the sense of it's natural for human beings. And it's, uh, you know, a thing which, uh, a gift and a grace which they are granted which you know um the immortal elves aren't that they're kind of envious of oh you get to die and accelerate to this other plane where who knows what awesome things you'll get to experience you know whereas for the doctor you get the sense of death would be a gift like oh what a relief like after everything you know which i guess for the elves would be too and that's the burden of immortality is you can't ever just lay down your burden yeah. and move on. Um, um, not not the first time we've compared the doctor to Yoda, but that's what Yoda <laughs> says. You know, it's you know to rest. Yes, that's that's what he longs for. There we go. I don't know why you're laughing. I was making a serious point there. Well, you had kind yeah. of the way you kind of slipped into a Yoda-ish voice. That was yeah. funny. Okay, <laughs> um, Rory. Yeah. I'm intrigued by the idea that he has no faith or superstition. Yeah. And I would disagree with that. It's a bit, it seems a bit contrived. Like, really, he has no faith and no fear. Like, I don't know. Maybe we just didn't find his room, (laughs) I think. He doesn't say no fear. He says no faith or superstition. Right. Um, well, the doctor says I, maybe I would, the doctor says maybe you're not afraid of anything, but that's the doctor's speculation. Yeah, I took that not to be serious. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I mean, think they seen, just didn't look hard enough for the room. We've seen Rory afraid. Yeah. I I took that no, I took that literally as the doctor sort of pulling his leg. Okay. Like I I didn't take that in a serious way at all. Um, the no faith or superstition though, I I sort of. Because we haven't seen him. But I would say, certainly, he sort of has put his faith into Amy. Sure. Like, I would say even, like, the first time we see Rory, he hasn't. But then we get to, um, you know, Vampires of Venice and and that sort of storyline. And then the, the next one where it's, you know, he has has, he's making these decisions of, explicitly trusting her and going with her um you know even before they're married and just sort of saying okay i'm not going to worry about it i'm gonna wherever you are i'm with you yeah and that maybe it's not explicitly saying i believe in you but i think we've certainly seen in action yeah i mean the dude what waited around two thousand freaking years for her like, right. you don't do that if you don't have any sort of faith in a person. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I, 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 maybe a bit, like you said, a bit contrived for the sake of the episode. Like, mm. it's, it could just be that they just never happened to run across his room. But, um, yeah. I also would say, though, like, we do get the hints about him and his sort of disillusionment with the doctor. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly he's never had the same level of faith in the doctor uh-huh. that Amy had. But I would say that as, at some point he did have some faith in the doctor at least. Yeah. If it, even if it wasn't tied to himself, it was faith that he would always protect Amy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it may not be that he had much faith in the doctor helping him out in a situation. Right. But it, when it came to Amy, 
he had a certain level of faith yeah. and now he doesn't after the events of the last episode right. it seems that he has become rather jaded in fact i think so um, too that's why uh, i kind of said last time even though that episode isn't referenced in this one i think it's totally relevant you know that you can see the themes being carried over um and you can see the change in the companions of you know amy's faith being i think between these two episodes her faith is really called into question but even by the beginning of this, I think you can see that with Rory, that yeah. he's, and it's not in a showy, angry, like he's not angry like he was last week, but there's just that quiet kind of disappointment, you know, of just. Yeah, I there's a certain bitterness, like when he says yeah. every time, yeah, every time the doctor angry, gets like, pally he's not with like, someone. He's not arguing, he's not fighting, but I agree, yeah, sure. like the, there still is that bitterness there. Yeah, the every time the doctor gets pally with someone, I have this overwhelming urge to notify their next of kin. Next like of kin, yeah. it, it's certainly a cynicism to it, yeah. not maybe a direct anger, but yeah. yeah, like and then he's like surprised when Amy doesn't hit her, hit him. Right. I mean, um, that that she right. doesn't hit him, which and that which makes you wonder. Okay, so they've had this conversation and it didn't go well. You know that he's right. brought well, up these these hesitations and amy's response is shut up <laughs> you know don't talk about it and there is i mean i'm glad they sort of threw that in because i think without that and i think i think even to a certain extent with it i sort of had a cognitive dissonance because like she seems to have just completely forgotten about the events and like doesn't seem bothered by the fact that the doctor just left old amy yeah, you know, and I think and that's that's a, I think that's a, uh, consequence of the show being more episodic and ser like less serialized than like Buffy. Like if this was yeah. Buffy, they'd be talking about the last episode, right. you know. Whereas Doctor Who, unless it's like a two-parter, they try not to do that. They try to keep them standalone. Yeah. But I think like they get it in the subtext enough that it's there well, that's they're just not say. like they don't ever really like hey remember last week when like you left me for 30 years and the thing <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah um well that and that's what i was gonna say like i think at least throwing that in there implies that they've they've worked through they're thinking issues. about it yeah like, yeah well or that they that they not just thinking, but that, like he says, there was some physical activity involved right. in in the discussion. Like right. that, that Amy has at least, like they've argued about it, but Amy has at least come to the conclusion that it was the best way for her to be saved. Right. Which, right or wrong. Which, it, which makes sense if you're young Amy. <laughs> right. Old right. Amy might not feel the same way, you know. Which also maybe, I think that kind of smooths over why she was able to kind of forgive him at least in the short term is because she was saved you know yeah. and it was the old amy who went through the hell of waiting and everything so right um but i and, think after like the one two whammy of these two episodes that's kind of enough to bring right. that issue up again yeah so but for rory it seems like it it's still up like I it's think so not too, bringing yeah. it up again it just never went away yeah um, yeah that, that he's been kind be of like implication. gritting his teeth and going along with it but he's not really mm -hmm. happy and and you get that like 
you know, the doctor notices his past tense, you know, that what was there left to be scared of, that mentally he's moving on, you know. He's checked out. Yeah. It's like he got, he's already got a new job and he's waiting out the two weeks right. at his old job. <laughs> right, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. Um, That's a good point. Very interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I, I liked this episode a lot. I thought visually and yep. thematically and, and stuff, it, it really worked pretty well. Um, I agree. I'm a big fan of this one. So, yeah. Good good job, Toby. Cool. Good job, Toby. Welcome back. And uh, who was the director? Nick Haran. Nick. Toby and Nick. Toby and Nick. Good team. Um, Cool. All right. Well, on to um, Angel. On to Angel. Um, so you didn't have any production, but I guess we should mention Tim Minear. He's always worth mentioning and yeah. always writes good episodes. Yeah. And he, I mean, he wrote, so we've referenced like the series of interviews he gave around like the first season. He wrote some stuff about that. So, you know, we'll, we'll have stuff to say as we kind of talk through it. Yeah. Um, also director is Bruce Seth. Bruce Seth Green, <laughs> who who we have seen before and talked about before, and if only to reference the His fact name. that he is in no way related to <laughs> Seth Green. Um, so yeah, but and, and I mean, as a director, like I think he does pretty well over. Like I mean, he yeah. he does a lot of good episodes, but I think we like this isn't we get the flashbacks and stuff, so mm-hmm. there is some stylistic differences that he has to deal with. But I don't, we're not talking about like differences in tone like we did with the doctor who episode you know of you know where they're completely creating sort of a whole new tone going forward this it's sort of he's i don't mean to call him a workhorse but he's kind of a good workhorse you know like he he gets his episodes and he does them well and they're visually good and all of that do have one minor complaint about the breathing vampires in the (laughs) graveyard um yeah you know but I don't think it's that big of a deal. No. Tim Minear even actually mentions that. I guess apparently it was just a matter of cost. Like I it think, was cold yeah. on set, and it's just it's like it's not worth it to go back and try to edit that out or to. And part of that is like when it was made too. Like this isn't that long ago, but it's long enough ago that like introducing like CGI and visual effects into the TV into a TV show was fairly new and not something that like like it was more of a more yeah, of a well, big like, deal you know so i mean and like but like with the mayor and stuff like buffy was sort of pushing boundaries yeah. like in cgi and yeah stuff. So whereas like, like I mean, I, if this episode was made today i think that would irk more like of oh you know couldn't you just take that breath out you know or whatever yeah. whereas in 2000 i think that's forgivable like and i'll be honest i didn't even notice it so i don't really know why i'm even complaining at all yeah i I don't i mean i'm not i don't mean to imply that it ruins the episode like we probably talked more about it even now than we need to but i i just i it is a flaw considering vampires don't breathe yeah so right um okay well yeah speaking of the flashbacks uh that's where i want to start is with you know, we get, like, these two parallel, like, father-child and then hanger-on stories, you know. So you have, like, <laughs> Angel... Father-child like, and hanger <laughs> Well, like, you know, Liam and his father and then, you know, the, the, the kind of 
hovering presence of Darla, you know, in the yeah, 1700s yeah. Ireland. And then in present-day L.A., you have Kate and her father and the hovering presence of Angel, you know. Sure. Um, so kind of, like, interesting parallel stories there. Um, so I guess to start with Liam, as we call him. Um, yeah. It is interesting to see a bit more of his origin story i guess like we've seen before that he was this kind of rakish you know ne'er-do-well you know uh and we see more of that like you know he flirts with the servants and you know uh, goes out stays up late drinking in the pub and getting into fights and doesn't is not living up to the um the the image of what his father would rather and um very interesting to watch this after having seen um the episode with pen you know where you get that kind of yep. repressed anger at his family which is unleashed when he becomes the vampire because you realize that that's pretty much what happened with liam that he has this like really difficult relationship with his father um who doesn't uh you know respect him and is disappointed in him and you know and and from Liam's point of view is both kind of furious at his father and like kind of scared of him and wanting to get his approval at the same time so you get this like really like confusing it's not quite sure you're not quite sure like how he anyone feels about anyone else kind of yeah. family dynamics um so interesting that you bring up somnambulist which is the episode with Penn. that's the one um yeah. one because that was also written by tim minear uh and two it also featured flashbacks right and so like you can start seeing a pattern especially yeah. when you put those against out of gas from Firefly. Mm. Like with the, where you have these parallel stories mm -hmm. of his just talking writing style of Tim Minear, mm -hmm. like the things that he sort of likes, he likes digging into like a character or characters and talking about their story and how they parallel. Like there's almost this sense of as much as things may change, they always stay the same kind of right. about his storylines too. You know what I mean? So like, even though there's, like, even if it's the, the matter of someone switching roles, still, like you pointed out here, the dynamics are the same, you know, with the the parent-child hanger-on yeah. kind of thing. Um, and similarly, you know, in, in sort of the other stories, they have their sort of parallel themes that work through, too. So just, I, I just think that's interesting that you drew that connection. And I think, I think it's right. I think it's a good connection. And there's some reason why there may be some connection yeah. between those stories, but it definitely like, yeah, like, and I mean, with Angel, like that's one of the points of the show Angel is to be able to explore Angel's character. And part of that is looking at the 200 years worth of flashbacks that you have to explore, you know, and, yeah. you know, talk about the origin story, but also talk about, you know, like things like with Penn and how he, corrupted people and all of this stuff so yeah we may get more of that along the way <laughs> um, um anyway yeah 
well, a lot of good, a lot of good stuff there. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Um, and I like, like the little, you know, notes in there. Like the father says, uh, you know, if you go looking for trouble, you'll be sure to find it. Like <laughs> that, he really, again, with that notion of the vampire as both kind of victim of another vampire but also the maker of their own trouble that like angel sure goes out and causes some trouble and becomes you know the maker of his own trouble um so yeah dad might be hard on you and yeah maybe you can never live up to what he wants but there's also that sense of like you're still responsible for you you know and yeah uh so it makes it more complicated. Um, yeah. Well, and there's there's also that going way back. Oh, was it season one or two of Buffy where, you know, like there was that conversation of, you know, oh, you know, becoming a vampire. It's like has nothing to do with your personality. And Angel right. is kind of like, well, well, actually. And Buffy's like, shh, shh, like whatever. Like this is the confirmation that actually there's a lot to do right. with sort of your personality beforehand and in fact the stuff that happened when you were alive even sort of drives him after the fact and we get yeah. the whole conversation from darla like just because our hearts stop beating doesn't mean we don't still aren't affected by the love we may have had before that you know like yeah. i mangled her quote there but you know what i mean like that idea of right all of the all of the stuff that happened in our real life absolutely affects our afterlife you yeah. know and will and but and like not even just affects it but like focuses it and enhances it and you know makes it worse well and like <laughs> um perverts it too because you know like he says cuz she says um she kind of implies that him killing his family was love and he, even he who did it, is sort of like, is this the work of love? Like, it doesn't look like love. And she says, oh, darling boy, so young, still so very young. That, like, you know, there's a fine line between, you know, desperately wanting your parents' approval and, like, being violently angry at them that you don't have their approval. Yeah. And that that, right. that that the kind of loving motivation can become twisted into this like angry vengeful you sure. know violent outburst which is kind of what it does um which that would seem like an interesting way to look at the vampire of it it keeps all your personality and your motivations but it twists them to the the demon's purpose i guess of yeah. whatever it is that's like possessing you um, and, you know, but, but I mean, it goes beyond that too, because it's not just his father that he kills. Like you get what seems to be a nice, uh, loving, actually loving relationship with his sister, you yeah. know, um, who cries when he leaves and he consoles her and she cries at his funeral and everything. And then. You she know, spends a lot of time crying. She spends pretty much the whole... She doesn't say anything. She just cries. And um, and then, you know, and, and recognizes him and invites him in. And, you know, believes that he's this angel who came back to her 
and he kills her too. You know, just yeah. and not even two, but first, just first, like immediately, yeah, right? Like right, yeah, yeah. You know, can I come in? Boom, you're dead. Right, <laughs> like <laughs> right, and just cause you know, not because of any sort of like lingering, you know, uh, parental issues. Like there, there was nothing dark or twisted about that relationship, but even that love can become kind of corrupted by what he's become. And the fact that she basically gives him his new name. She does. Yeah. Uh, You know, she thought, she thought I was an angel and that he, that's the name he accepts and uses. And it's again, a perverted sort of love, you know, that goes into that, right. He accepts that moniker and now, you know, like, and he kills the one who gave it to him. So it's, yeah, there's definitely a number of levels that works out on. Yeah. Um. And so, okay, I mean, if we're talking about these in parallel, then there's all, that same sort of thing is going on between Kate and her father. Because you get the sense of his being a jerk and overbearing mm. and whatever. But then it's like... Oh, you know, he's at the crime scene to sort of check up on her, and that's what Kate thinks. But then you find out, oh, it's not really. He's, yeah. you know, involved in this drug thing. But then it's like, well, actually, in a kind of a way, like in a perverted way, he was because he was taking that money and saving it for her. Right. Supposedly. I mean, that's what he claims anyway, right. you know, at the end. So, like, there's there are these like multiple levels where it seems like it is and then it doesn't quite seem like it is but then it's like well it really kind of is because he's keeping the money for her and, yeah um so yeah, yeah I see, think that in, works out. in both you get this like sense of the parents not you know the the children expecting love and approval which they should have but also the parents not being like perfectly equipped to know how to give it you know like Mm. that they make mistakes too you know it's not just about they owe you the you know the always correct responses and like you know we're always going to be a hundred percent supportive and loving and know exactly what to say but they're actually not always sure how to express it either um And that doesn't necessarily mean that there's no love there. Um, actually, it's funny. My first reaction when Kate... I was really surprised that, like, Kate uh, was happy to see him and, like, took the... I thought she was being kind of innocent in how, like, oh, you came here, like, for me. Whereas my gut reaction was, like, he's here to totally check up on you. Like, he doesn't trust that you're doing a good job. <laughs> and then that that turned out to be wrong, too, but... I think based right. on the last episode with him, I was sure. like, I don't think, you know, this is as, like, sweet as it appears. Um, sure. Which it wasn't, but then turned out to have, like, an ultimately good, you know, loving motive underneath. So, um, it sort of worked out in the end, but... Yeah. Um... And I, I mean, I do like the parallels between the two stories because you have kind of those similar, um, 
you know, relationships between the, the parent and the child. And then you get, like, Darla, the corrupting vampire influence on Liam. But then Angel is sort of not really the corrupting influence on Kate. You know, that's what Kate and Trevor think he is. Like, mm. he's maybe bad news and we don't, you know, want to mix with his kind. But he is actually the one who in this instance is the angel and is trying to protect them and watch over them and sure. do the right thing and you know and isn't able to you know protect trevor in the end because he won't let him but ironically he should have because he probably would have been able to save him um so more kind of that i hadn't noticed that with tim minear with the like parallel backstories and stuff like that he's done that in other things but that's true. He's good at that. Yeah. Yeah, he he's pretty good at kind of having those multiple threads running through one story there like that. Yeah. Um, oh, and so, I have something yeah. else that I wanted to say. And it left my head. So I'll have to think of it later. Um, so sort of the, I guess sort of along those same themes, um, speaking of Tim Minear, one of the things they talks about is, is how both sort of sides of the coin are skewed in a way. Like, um, you know, he says angels saw his father as a prick, but he really wasn't like the father actually yeah. did love his son. Like yeah. he wanted the best for him. But like you said, he didn't know sort of how to express that and right. how to best, you know, do that. Um, well, and you kind of get father, the idea that, like, of course Angel's, or of course Liam's going to think he's a prick because all Liam wants to do is, like, be a prick himself. So, like, you know, like, I mean, we don't see that much, but you don't get the sense that he is a very responsible or, you know, easy human being to, like, have in your house. So no wonder right. he doesn't get along with his dad because his dad wants him to be like, you know, the perfect, a, whatever. Yeah. 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 And right. Right. So the same way. So then like, and then when he's not, he sees Angel as sort of a loser and, a you know, carousing, like you said, ne'er-do-well, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, this, it's a self-replicating, you know, vicious cycle kind of thing yeah. like that. Uh, you know, just one leads to the other, leads to the other, and it escalates and escalates and escalates, and it, you know, to the point where, you know, if you leave my house, you're never coming back. And well, yeah. he does come back, and he kills you. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's the escalation of this. And um, like in the same way, there, Tim Minear points out, you know, there's like similar sort of not seeing things quite for the way they are between Kate and her father on mm. both sides. Like, you know, the her father is sort of uh, doing things that are overbearing and whatever, but are also like, you know, quote, his heart's in the right place kind uh -huh. of thing. Like he does love his daughter and is actually ultimately looking out for her. It's just, he has sort of questionable judgment and ability to express his feelings while doing that. Yeah. And then, you know, in the same way, Kate sort of sees her father as being distant not realizing that actually he is doing a lot of stuff to try to help her. Right. Um, so th there's all these sort of levels of, of, or I don't, I don't know what you want to call them. Like, like 
you know, blocked visions, you know, like it's translucent, not transparent between what's going on. And so they're just kind of seeing shadows of who the other people really are. Yeah. Um, and all of that. So, yeah, um, I thought a, of my thing, but go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and actually, and we get another reference to like levels of knowledge, which we haven't talked about before, where Angel's sort of talking about like, oh, you've seen this thing before. You just don't realize it because mm. people are really good at hide at misremembering stuff. And I like the sort of subtle play on that and how that works out with like the cop, you know, taking down the notes of, of the, oh, medium height, medium build, right. you know, average medium, everything, yeah. average, yeah, yeah, whatever. And it's just like, okay, that's not helpful at all. No. But yeah. it, you know, but it, it fits this quote otherworldly thing, right. which is funny to Angel's explanation that well, they're not actually otherworldly. Right, they were, demons were actually here before. Another thing that reminded <laughs> me of Tolkien, you know, like um, like yeah. saying like the elves aren't actually supernatural; that they're more natural, and we're yeah, supernatural like, because we can go away and die, <laughs> whereas yeah, they yeah. can't. They're stuck here. So like that twist on what you think of as supernatural actually being more tied to the earth. You know, sure. whereas beings with well, spirits are more otherworldly, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, like, wherever the demons came from, I think, yeah, the idea, at least in the Buffy verse, is that they were here They're first. older, like, they're more ancient. They're definitely yeah. older than people are. Yeah. Um, so, anyway. Um, so, what was your, what did you want to say? My other thing I wanted to say was another title thing that I interesting that you know the prodigal is singular it's not so even though we have parallel stories it's not prodigals you know it's not like liam and kate you know I, liam's the clear prodigal like he's the kind of you know irresponsible son who he doesn't get along with his father and then goes off and leaves but instead of coming back and like having the father celebrate the father like you know put boards up the house and says you can't come in here and then he yeah. gets in and slaughters his family so slightly sure. different ending to the prodigal son story but i like the idea of kate as actually you know she's not a prodigal child she's the faithful child she's the one who says dad i've always been the good daughter i've always done everything right like and this is more from the first episode with him where with the sensitivity training where like you get this sense of her as the one who has always tried so hard to to do everything right you know so rather than liam who uh handles his disappointment you know the fact that he's a disappointment by going out and just like being even more disappointing she's the one who handles it by being a per perfectionist you know like following in the family footsteps being a cop so that she can be like him you know being a great cop so that she can impress him you know and um being married to her job even um sure. so you get the sense of like that even though in some ways he is a similar father to liam's father she reacted to that very differently than liam did um mm. so I like the title because it doesn't like literally uh, connect to anything, but it kind of brings up all of these kind of parallels and biblical ideas and everything. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Kate as the good child. It's interesting. Um, I, there might... I, don't, I haven't really thought about it this way before, so this is sort of emerging as I say it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think like there's there's a sense in which you could look at Angel, modern day Angel, as being that return. You know what I mean? So it's it's this is what the core of Angel, mm-hmm. the show, is about: right. is making atonement for the evil things he did. And now we're going back and seeing the beginning, That's the very true. first of the evil things that he did. So I think there is a sense where you could interpret, like, I, I'm not saying this to say like your interpretation is wrong. Yeah. I'm saying there's like other parallel sort of interpretations that also could be looked at. Um, yeah, no, that's a really and, good point. And so far as, you know, yeah, he goes like, there is the subversion of the biblical parallel, uh, parable, right. Of him going back to his father's house and, killing his father mm-hmm. rather than asking for forgiveness yeah. or whatever. Um, but also like at that point, I mean, yes, he's had the crowsing and stuff, but he hasn't like really done anything too bad yet. Like some drinking and fighting at the bar, but right. not like now we're into, Oh, there's a random person. I'm going to kill him. Right. You know? Um, and also the fact that he doesn't just go back and kill his father. Like, he does... I, I, actually, this contradicts what I just said. He does go and kill, like, most of the village first. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, like this... But, like, again, you still get the sense that, like, he's just getting started. Right. Like, this is not his, you know, swan song at all. He's barely beginning. So, yeah. you know, this is... this is. Yeah, he's, he's going out. So, yeah, anyway. Uh, not to harp on that, but it's... Uh, definitely right like in a sense the whole show is you know angel as kind of like the retelling of that parable of like the person who was lost and is now found you know that who went out and did all this you know horrible stuff and is now coming back and trying to atone for it um that makes a lot of sense i like it All right. I feel like we've skipped around the characters a lot. Yeah, we did. Um, I mean, I don't have a ton of other things to say about Darla other than it was nice to see her again. And all of her evil glory. Have we not seen her since season one? Of Buffy? Buffy? I think. Yeah, so... And I feel like I set her up earlier on to, like, have a bigger role than she did. Oh. Like, I, I actually forgot that it took a really long time to actually see, <laughs> see her, her again. again. Yeah. Um, so, my bad. Well, <laughs> I don't know that I didn't feel let down or anything necessarily. Um, yeah, no, I, I wasn't just didn't. Like, I, I remember at the time thinking like, oh, we'll see her again. I wasn't thinking about the fact that it's like four seasons yeah, later. Two years like, later. Yeah, in our yeah, time or whatever. Or whatever. Like, yeah. No. You know. Yeah. That's funny. Um, yeah. I don't, I didn't feel like set up or anything, but it was, yeah. it was when I saw her, I, that was pretty much my reaction was, oh, Starla. <laughs> 
yeah. And then my no, second think... my second reaction was oh, Christina Hendricks, but you know. Yeah, right. I know, and I had I it's funny because like I mean I obviously I watched this before Firefly. She has a much sort of uh more prominent role in Firefly and like I completely forgot that she was in this episode. Yeah. And even when I watched it, like, cause she's just, you know, like the bar wench or whatever. Yeah. She's like, only there I for mean, a minute. When you, it, it, when you know she's there, you're looking for her. And I just wasn't. So I completely even forgot. Yeah. Uh, when I watched it through the first time and then you, and then you like texted me like, Oh, Christina Hendricks. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that, that's right. She is in this episode, yeah. isn't she? So, um, I don't think we'll see her ever again. No. <laughs> That's all right. She goes on to great success. So, oh yeah, she's clearly done well for herself. That's perfectly fine. Um, but yeah, no, it is kind of nice and funny to you know again sort of spot those people that are you know before they're sort of well known. Yeah. Um. The so, I guess the one thing. Um that I do want to sort of say about Darla is like, you know, before we got, the, when we, when we saw Angel's sort of origin before, like, this is like, like that was like the quick version. Right. And now we're getting right. the more in depth version. Like we, we do get the sense that she's a little more calculated about, like, it wasn't just, Oh, she happened to be in the alleyway and he comes stumbling out. Right. Like this is, plan right and that there's something about him even before he's a vampire which goes back to talking about like personalities before and after like one leads into the other that that there's actually something that she was drawn to him Hmm. uh you know beforehand so this is almost i mean you know we we were told before that like they were a thing but right. we didn't sort of know the extent to which yeah. they were. So this, we're almost getting uh, Spike and Drew mm. levels of, yeah, uh, y- you know, uh, interaction going on here. That yeah. there's that there's, I almost said like a cosmic thing to it. I mean, I don't mean to like it's not providence that these two vampires get <laughs> together. Like that's obviously the opposite of providence, you know, but, um, but that there is sort of a deeper connection. I think yeah. like there's a, there for her, you know, talking about love, like there is almost a love at first sight, even when he's still human kind of aspect to it, not a, yeah. Oh, I happened to find you in an alleyway. So it, all of that to say that then it makes more sense about her doing almost the doctor thing in that moment of the, you know, I can show you mm. many great things, you know, right. if you do this and come with me. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, like, so not only does she pick him out, like deliberately chooses him. She doesn't just like pounce on the first victim yeah. or choose the easiest, you know, she like, yeah, you know, deliberately is attracted to him and kind of seduces him and pulls him away. But then also, like waits for him outside because usually right. like when we see Buffy in the graveyard waiting for vampires to come out there's no other vampires around like there's nobody there to like walk them through like vampire orientation of like <laughs> <laughs> like here's how you do whatever whereas that's what here, she does here's your binder with all the information you need exactly to know and... yeah um whereas that's what she does for him is she like 
does like yeah. wait and like not that he needs it because we see other vampires kind of figure it out but she deliberately like tutors him in how to be a vampire yeah. and like talks him through it and makes like it's almost like you want is it just that sense of the first one that he sees when he comes out like she's want to establish like a deeper connection with yeah. him of like right, right. I'm going to show you the ropes and so like he'll have more respect for her yeah. than he otherwise Al- would almost like that when you know like uh when a baby is born it's like having the mother be the first one to hold right. it you know right. is kind of the, yeah. the thing yeah, yeah. um and actually, the and, thing, um, other than the breath, what stuck out to me in that episode is that usually also when we see vampires come out of their graves, again with Buffy, they usually come out in, like, monster mode. You know, they, yeah. like, burst out and attack, and Buffy has to slay them. Whereas, you know, and maybe this is just for the effect of the way it looked. Like, I don't know what the decision-making was in here, but he comes yeah. out human you know like he he's just himself climbing out and it's right you know so later i mean again i think you could just explain it as well then you get the dramatic reveal later of he turns and his face goes vamp for the first time but they didn't have to do it that way they could have had him come out as a vampire so i thought that was interesting like I don't quite know what that means or what that says, but it makes him different than a lot of the other vampires that we see who are more animal and instinctive and alike. Whereas he's more, you know, he's different. There's something different about him and maybe more calculating and more intentional. Like he doesn't go into full vampire mode until he's ready to, until he's ready to feast. Yeah. I hadn't honestly really ever thought about that. So that's interesting. And um, I think given what we've seen of Angelus, there's a good argument to be made for the calculating side of Yeah, it. and that like I'm I, rational. Like, I'm trying to think, what do I know about yeah, Angel? That I don't, would I've never, explain why they did it that way, you know? I, yeah, I've never seen, like, there's, I've not seen an explanation of why he might not be, you know, have vamp face when he comes out versus, you know, others that do. It could just be an oversight, but yeah. I think your explanation of it makes it possible that there's also rational explanation behind the intent there. So, And if not, it's as good a retcon as any. Sure. Sure. Yep. Um, so anyway, yes. Uh, any Anything else you want to say about sort of the modern day Angel, Kate, Trevor stuff? Um, I guess I wanted to just mention that uh, you kind of mentioned the bringing up the idea of the levels of knowledge and you get um, Kate still kind of struggling between how much to trust angel or not um sure and kind of a two steps forward one step back kind of thing you know of like wanting to like it's a big step back at the well end a the big episode. step back at the, yeah so maybe <laughs> one step forward three steps back or something um mm-hmm. i mean you kind of get him trying to explain that not all 
well, you get the like denial of we can't even say demon, just say evil thing. So like, you know, we have to turn the shades down and pretend that these things don't exist. So we can't even really sure. talk about them. Um, and then trying to, you know, for him to explain that not all evil things are evil. Um, himself being the biggest exception, I would think, at least in, you know, sold angel form, you know, that he's trying to explain to her, I'm not evil in the same way that they are, you know, he would be if he turned into Angelus. Um, but that's the kind of like awkward elephant in the room. Like when she's like, all evil things aren't evil. And he's like, um, no. <laughs> like, like <hello>. me? Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yep. uh, but after all that, and, and, and then, you know, Trevor kind of saying, you know, talking her into like, it's not good to be alone and you should. So at the same time as he's warning her about Angel, he's also saying, you know, you should open up and trust people. Mm. So she's wanting to do that with Angel. Um, and then you just get the like whole mess of the ending where it looks like yeah. he, you know, I don't know that she ever really believes that he's involved in her father's death, but she certainly believes that he didn't really do anything to stop it. Um, so a big hit to her trust in him by the yeah. end there. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I mean the fact that she sees the one guy running away. Yeah. Like but yeah, it is kind of like what Right, I was it's not even like he, it's he's surrounded by the bodies of all the people he killed trying to save her father or something. Right. Well, and I was just gonna say, but like he did kill someone, but he dusted. Like she didn't see him dusting the vampire. He was already gone. So it's right. like it looks like there was just one guy who came and killed him and, and then ran away ran away and like angel didn't stop it yeah. um so yeah like there is that and it like had he killed them both then it would have just been him with her father's dead body and that would not have been any better no. like, from her perspective so there's definitely that aspect to it of like yeah as much as he might have been able to stop them or whatever like he couldn't like he wasn't able to enter the house until yeah trevor died so he literally had nothing he could do at that point. Yeah. So, Sucks. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And then you see, I mean, sure, you know, Kate breaks down, but then it sort of gives her the impetus to go hunt some demons on yeah. her own, you know? Yeah, um, which, is, which is cool, and she's pretty capable for what she knows. Like, she right. comes prepared with the stakes, and she does, you know, stake the vampire. But you just realize how much she does not know about, you know, and that's just ignorance more than anything else. That, like, oh, maybe there are other things there that aren't just vampires. There's this, like, right. big, mean, scary demon who, like, the bullets have no effect on, and he's, like... So, mm -hmm. you know, it's a kind of a wake-up call for her, like... You think you're initiated into this world, but you're really not, you know, and that's not her fault. It's just a reminder that there's a lot more to what's going on than she realizes. Yeah, yep, yeah. yep. Um, 
And then, you know, what she says to Angel at the end, you know, where he, when he tries to talk to her about her father and she goes, my father was human. You don't know anything about that. Like, you know, just this idea that he is um, like she had up to this point, even though she sort of knew he was a vampire, like mm. she hasn't actually really been treating him like one. Yeah. But like now this is like the turning point. Like. Right. She actually believes it's like hook, line, and sinker that he is a vampire and he's a monster, yeah. and she's going to treat him just like any of the others. Right. Which is ironic, given that the whole point of the flashback is to show how connected the vampire and the human are, really. So, sure. Yes, he is a vampire and a monster, but he also does know something about humanity. You know, mm. and the two aren't necessarily mutually exclusive, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, very, uh, very hard place to be in for them. Yes. Any, uh, any, anything about Cordy and Wesley or um, there? I don't have a lot, uh, did did uh, the only thing that kind of jumped out to me was like did Wesley perform a vivisection on that demon because that's kind of nasty if so. Well, he referred to it as a vivisection. It was actually more of like an autopsy. Okay. I mean, so what? I mean, I would, vivisection. I would hope so, Wesley. But well, the demon was dead. Like we saw right. the demon dead. So like, li- literally, cannot be a vivisection because. Yeah. Vivid comes from the Latin word for life. Yes. And well, vivisections are performed yeah. from, yeah, on live things. So he referred to it as vivisection. I think that's poor writing. Okay. <laughs> I think that... They probably meant... They mean autopsy. Or dissection we, or something, yeah. Yeah, we see the demon dead. Yeah. So, like, it clearly was yeah. not a vivisection. That word um, just sort of made my red flag go No, up. you did. I made a note <laughs> about that, too, because that that is... I. That's always bothered me every time I've watched this yeah. episode, too. Like, I think the breaths one, it took me, like, three or four times through to, like, actually have that bother me. So, like, okay. but, like, this is, like, that word choice is just a poor one. Yeah. It's not, it's not technically accurate. And the reason why I, why it bothers me is because that's something that Wesley should know. Like, given yeah. his character. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you can, if you know enough to perform one... You should know. Right. You, you know, know what, what the is. difference yeah. is. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, and, and, um, and yeah, so I'm with you. I think that's probably just a, a mistake of, of word choice. Um, but other than that, I don't really have a lot we, for Wesley. Um, no, I, there, I don't know that there's anything to say. I didn't really have much for either of them either. Yeah. Um, no. Other than the reference to Cordy's birthday, which we I don't think in either series we had gotten. No, yet I don't think point. so either. Um I don't even know when this aired offhand. Yeah, so I like I couldn't even tell you like what her actual winter sometime. Is. Yeah, like, like February, February, I wanna say. February twenty second. There good, we go. Good good call. So like I, she she says something about two weeks. I can't remember if it was two weeks before or two weeks after. Hmm. Uh, but so 
somewhere between mid February and early March <laughs> is her <laughs> it's birthday. It's birthday. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Um, um, not that that's either here nor there. Like, it never. I don't even know that it ever is mentioned again. It's not like with Buffy's birthday where we have an episode right. sort of around it in almost every season. Yeah. Or at least in several seasons. I don't know. Um, yeah. No, good episode, but I think we've sort of covered all of it, so I don't know that we need to drag it out much more unless there's any... I mean, the two parallels, you know, between the the parent, child, and... Yeah. Hanger on as you have labeled them. <laughs> um I think are sort of the big the big story there. Yeah. Obviously, you know, now like <laughs> it's frustrating because yeah, like every time like you think like Kate and Angel are sort of gonna have a go at just even being friends or whatever, like mm. something else happens and now it's like her father died. So it's like right. There, how much bigger does it get that yeah. something is going to happen? Yeah. What other, What else can we throw wrong into yeah. this relationship? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, cool. That's to be played out as it will be, but uh, otherwise, yeah. All right. Well, I think we're good. I think we should wrap up so that I can go watch the second half of that Buffy story. <laughs> Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, we we need to return to Buffy and Faith mm. next week. Um, <laughs> I totally got you with the. Oh yeah, well sometimes there's crossovers. Yeah, yeah, not in this case, but sometimes <laughs> is, you know. Which is true. Sometimes there are. <laughs> Just didn't happen now. Yeah. So okay, enough torture. I will let you go, and we will talk about that episode next week, All right. along with a new episode of Doctor Who. See you then.